This morning we're going to continue in our Bible conference, and we're going to be looking at the miracle of modern Israel. Uh, two weeks ago today, it was my privilege to, to be in the land of Israel. In fact, two weeks ago, and I have to add and subtract time because they're seven hours ahead of us, so right now I was probably getting ready to go to bed or have dinner, but uh, uh, during my day there, we uh, understand that worship in Israel was on Shabbat, so church is not on Sunday because that's not their, their day of worship. Uh, all the churches, even the believers, they worship on, on Shabbat, Sabbath, because that's the day that Israel worships. So two weeks ago today, I know that I had the, pri- the real privilege of being in the Knesset, which is the governing body of Israel. I got to see where Netanyahu saw it. I sat right there, and I saw Netanyahu's seat. He was not in the building, unfortunately, but uh, they were coming into session the, uh, the next day, and uh, there were two... Um, two uh, ministers that were present in the building the time we were there. But it was just amazing to be there and to spend that day kind of looking at modern Israel. A couple of, uh, couple of uh, years ago, my, uh, my dear wife was having problems breathing. We would go outside, we'd try to walk our dog, and um, she would just have difficulty. We ended up going to the doctor, and he sent us to Deborah, and they did a uh, stress test and whatnot, and found out that one of her arteries was blocked. And so this very item that here is here on the screen, they put this drug-eluting stent, which was invented in Israel, into her heart, and uh, she is doing amazing. Uh, in fact, uh, we go to the gym three times a week, and, and she's just really got it going into overdrive on the elliptical. She can get her heart up to 150 beats, per, and she's just going... Um, we thank Israel for, for the technology that they've uh, been used to create. Another friend of mine from our home church uh, needed an endoscopy, and uh, she was given the PillCam, which is a, like a small capsule that you swallow, and as it goes down your esophagus, they're able to snap pictures, get glossies, 8 by 10s you know, pictures, and they shoot all the way down so that they're able to observe and see what's going on in your, in your throat and, and all the way down your esophagus. I mentioned here global, uh, the uh, geolocation technology, but even more than that, uh, many of you may be familiar with the fact that just a few days ago, Apple released the new iPhone 10. And no, this is not a commercial for Apple. This is really a commercial for Israel because most of what's involved in iPhone 10 or X was invented in Israel. And while we were there, they were discussing with us that they were afraid, and Apple's been a little leery, what the reception of that phone would be because so much of the technology that's incorporated in new iPhone 10, which is the facial recognition technology, the ability that you don't have to have a password, you don't have to have a fingerprint. It takes a picture of your face, and when you hold the phone up, it, it recognizes your face and lets you in. When I was in Israel, as we were getting ready to leave, there were a number of people that were able to, to bypass the security line because they already had the facial recognition technology installed in Israel, they fed their passport in, they stood still, the camera scanned their face, compared it with a picture on their passport, and they moved on. Well, I'm still standing there waiting. I'm ready to get my face scanned, let me tell you. If it, anything that speeds up that process works for me. We were in Israel and we planted trees in, in the forest. Friends of Israel has a forest there. And one of the things that I noticed, again, as we we're there, we're planting the trees, and right next to where each tree is located, you see this drip irrigation technology. There's a little tiny, little tiny hose with a little end, and water just comes out a few drips at a time. 
That has helped Israel to be able to reforest and to, to replenish so much of their land after it was stripped between the Romans, who, who took a lot of it down to destroy the temple in AD 70, and then the Ottoman Turks, who, who kind of denuded it and, and, and raped the land uh, up until uh, 19, what, 1914, when, uh, when they were kicked out after the war. Um, Israel is making the desert bloom again. And one of the inventions that they have provided for our world today is this drip irrigation technology. In fact, so much of what we have and enjoy and use today, most of us, even our, we have a, we have a computer. Pantheon chips come from Israel, okay? Medical technology. Uh, I was diagnosed back in 2010 with mantle cell lymphoma. It came back a couple years later, and, and so I'm still in treatment. But if it ever comes back again, I'm going to go to Israel because while UPenn's doing a great job, Israel is pretty close to being able to, to cure this cancer. And so, you know what? I'll fly myself over there and, 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 and put myself there and see what they can do because one of the blessings that Israel brings to our land, to our world, is the fact that they exist and they want to be able to make the place better than what it was before them. We see as we go on, uh, Jewish contributions to the world. Uh, the global Islamic population is roughly 1,200,000,000. That, that's just a few people. Basically, 20% of the world's population would identify themselves as Islamic. In the history of the Nobel Prize organization, they've won seven. That's great. We're glad for that. The global Jewish population is about 14 million, or about what? One five hundredth to one thousandth of the total population. They've won a total of 129. Israel is not perfect. Israel is not a country that is, is any more perfect than the United States. But my dear friend, they try to, to bring to their world betterment. They try to leave it better than when they found it. Remember when Haiti had the, uh, the, the terrific storm? Who was the first ground, the first nation on ground zero in, in Haiti? Israel. When, when Japan, when they had the, uh, the tsunami and their nuclear power plants were compromised, the first nation on earth to help Japan was Israel. Israel, right now, when we were there, we took a tour of some of the medical centers while we were there. Israel is treating thousands of refugees from ISIS. You don't hear this in the news. This isn't something that comes out when you, when you watch David Muir or when you watch CBS or CNN. But Israel, free of charge, is treating thousands of, of refugees that are part of the entire mess that, that, that ISIS is creating in Syria because Israel's border is right there with Syria up on the, up in the north. And they do it free of charge. And while they're being treated, the people who they're treating are calling for the death and destruction of Israel. That'd be sort of like me going into UPenn, being treated for cancer, and say, I want to destroy UPenn. I want to destroy UPenn. I want to burn UPenn. No, you know, I'm sitting there saying, thank you that you're taking care of me. That's the difference. That's the difference. Just some more figures. Jewish population in relation to the world. If the world population was what we, we could fit into Madison Square Garden, which is about 23,000, little little less than 24,000, 41 of them would be Jewish. If that was the entire world, 23,789, 41 people would be Jewish out of that group. Does that give you an idea of, of, of who's larger? Yankee Stadium holds 54,251. 108 out of that vast group would be Jewish. 
Look at the New York City population. We see it down here. It's, it's 19.7 million. It's more than the entire Jewish population of the entire world. New York City has more people than there are Jewish people on the face of the earth. Okay, so we're not talking about a large group here. We're not talking about a huge population and yet, these are some people that have really impacted our world in so many ways. I want you to see Israel in the early days. Mark Twain wrote this in his book, Innocence Abroad. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes, desolate and unlovely. That first picture that came up after the, the uh, Ottoman Turks had totally stripped away any remaining trees that the Romans had left, the land became a swamp, and it was literally mosquito-infested. They had malaria. The Jewish people literally worked to clear those swamps, and many of them ended up with malaria and died trying to clean that swampland. That was land my wife grew up in a Jewish home. I was born and raised in a Christian family. Lorna grew up Jewish. In fact, she's a first-generation American. And when she would go to Hebrew school, when she would go to, to Hebrew Sunday school, which they had in the synagogue, they were given banks, and they would take money, and they would raise money to help buy back land in what was then early Israel, and when she was younger, what was Palestine. Remember when we were kids, and I don't know if you did this, but I used to buy stamps. They were on Friday, and then you could buy savings bonds. We would have the stamps, and you'd get the little book, and you got savings bonds. Well, they did the same thing, but they were trying to help Israel. The land of Israel, much of what they have today, it wasn't taken in hostility. It was bought and paid for by money from Jewish people around the world through Jewish National Fund. It was also paid for by their blood, their sweat, and their own bodies as, as they made the land produce again. This next picture, that's the Western Wall. In fact, when Israel uh, reclaimed the Western Wall in 67, it was, it was a trash heap. The, 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 the Muslims had left their garbage literally all around the Western Wall. They did nothing with it, and, and Israel cleaned it all up. And today, we were there on a, on, a, on a Shabbat Friday night, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of joy that happens there when they worship the Lord on Shabbat. This last picture, thought you might be interested, that is the beginning of the major metropolis that I flew into. That's the beginning of Tel Aviv. That's, that's the early Tel Aviv. It sort of looks like something out of the wild, wild west, doesn't it? But I'm talking, I'm telling you, that's the 1900s. That's like 1905, 1906. The foundation of, of what today is where Ben Gurion Airport is. It's a major modern city. You see, Israel is really not that old. And Israel has worked to reclaim the land that, uh, that she has. Land of Israel today. You know, I asked this question. The Jewish people seem to be the only people for whom the land works. Why is that? Israel has taken those, those lands that were, that were mosquito and swampy, and they've drained it, and now they produce these like giant mutant carrots. You know, the land of Israel, there was a, an area that 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, it's called the Gaza. And if you can picture a map of Israel, the Gaza is the area where the, the Philistines used to be. That's where the cities, the five cities of the Philistines were. That's the Gaza Strip. 
Israel bought that land from the, the, the Islamic people who were there because they said, this land is cursed. It doesn't work. We can't do anything with it. And Israel got it, and it became the breadbasket of the state. And when they turned it over, it was one of the major farm-producing parts, areas of the state of Israel. Why is it that the Jewish people seem to be the only people that the land works for? You know, one of my professors from when I was at PCB many years ago, some of you may have heard of him, his name was Gordon Sepperly. Gordon Sepperly wrote a book that was called A Promised Land for a Chosen People. Let me tell you clearly, as we read in the Bible, we're going to see as we go on today, Israel was chosen. And not only were they chosen, but God chose a land for them. And it's like the promised land only works for the chosen people. And the chosen people really only work best when they're in their land. I believe God did it that way on purpose because God said, I'm taking you to a good land. I'm taking you to a wonderful land. I'm taking you to a land that, that my eye is always there. And I'll tell you, they're there in unbelief, but the land really works for them. And they've done some amazing things in such a short time. There were, there were many believers that saw a future for Israel. One of them was John Nelson Darby, who is considered to be the father of modern dispensationalism. And this man, who, who died in 1882, 1862. My, my eyes aren't that great these days. 62, 82, within 20 years. He saw, reading the word, this is during the time when Mark Twain's writing. This is during the time when, when Israel was under the Ottoman Turks, when it was a desolate, barren, just a totally void of anything that w- would have made you think that this was a land flowing with anything other than malaria and swamps. And yet he saw a future that God was going to bring Israel back. Another person was C.I. Schofield the editor of the Schofield Reference Bible, the first version of which came out in the early 1900s, 1909, 1910, somewhere. When he first saw that, when that Bible first came out, do you realize how far away we were from the existence of the state of Israel? Someone asked me on Wednesday night. They said, uh, Brother Simcox, are you sure your organization was called the Friends of Israel when you were founded in 1938? Because there was no Israel. I would have thought you would have been like the Friends of the Jewish people or, or the Friends of the Jews or something like that. And I said, you know, it's interesting. But our founding board back in, in 1938 obviously had been impacted by, by these men and others. And they felt... As clear as, as Hitler was beginning his, his atrocities, as Hitler was moving to destroy the Jewish people, they saw there was going to be a future for Israel. And they said, we're naming this organization the Friends of Israel. And then the magazine, which came out later, I have placed Salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. When there was no Israel, clearly there was a sense of, of deep love and understanding of the word of God that was the part of those, those men even as John Nelson Darby and C.I. Schofield. We need to look at the Word and see that there is a, a promise that was made. If you were here on Wednesday night, you were with us as we looked at Genesis chapter 12. But I want to move on, and I want to look at Genesis 13. Genesis chapter 12, God says, I will, I'm going to send you to a place you don't know what it looks like, you don't know where it is, and I'm going to leave it to a child you're too old to have. I will bless them that bless you, I will curse him that curses you. But look what God says in Genesis chapter 13. 
Just the next chapter over. After separating from Lot, the Lord said, lift up your eyes, verse 14, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see. Notice what God says. I will give to you and to your offspring for how long? Forever. Let me ask you a question, dear one. How long is forever? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have part-time life. They can live for 20 years, 50 years. No, the verse is everlasting. How long is everlasting? How long is forever? Forever. Until there's no more. When God promised you everlasting life, did you ever look at that and say, now I wonder if he really means forever is forever? You know what? We live in a day and age where it's real easy to throw things away, isn't it? Marriage. 30 years ago, I stood before my pastor, and I promised to love, honor, and cherish my wife, Lorna, till death do us part. You know what? There's no throwaway here. There's no get out of it. There's, there's no, well, I'm sorry. I don't love you anymore. You burned the toast. I'm going to have to replace you. I'm not the Phillies. It's not like, you know, wow, you did real good last year, but this year you're not doing so good, so we're going to trade you. Lorna is a Simcox until the Lord says she's not. And we are, we, we, we've, we've been together for 30 years, and I've never, ever questioned it because I promised to love her forever. The Lord promised to love me forever. Does that happen? That Well, Tom, you really had a rough week. You weren't so God-glorifying today. You know, you didn't put any money in the offering plate or what you did put kind of crinkled and it didn't, it, it, it just kind of made a noise. It wasn't the quiet kind. Your worship was a little off today. You weren't paying attention and focusing on me. So you know what? I'm done with you. That's not how it goes, is it? Well, let me tell you, the same God who promised to love us forever, please listen, promised that Israel would have that land forever. And let me ask you a question. Is God able to keep his promises? Is God consistent? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? If God says something in Genesis, is he going to tell us anything different in Revelation? Is he going to tell us anything different in 2017 with the Bible complete? No, because God is immutable, unchangeable. He's always the same. God promised Israel. Look, he didn't promise the land because they were great. In fact, he'll say in Deuteronomy, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest, the handsomest, the sweetest, the smartest, the most wonderful. I've chosen you because I've chosen you. Why did God love me? Who in the world is Tom Simcox? He's just a trophy saved by the grace of God. That's all I am. I'm nothing. Probably worth about a buck ninety-eight, and with inflation, probably a little less. But for whatever reason, when I was a little kid, God extended to me a call that said, I want you to be my child. And by God's grace, I responded to that. I put my faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And you know what? Israel, it's not because they're the greatest. It's because he said, I've, I've chosen you, and I'm going to give you a land, and it's yours. And I don't care what the UN thinks. I don't care what the president thinks. I'm really not worried about the Senate, the Congress. And I'm really not interested in what the rest of the world says. The land's yours. I said so. It's good enough for me. That's important. That promise was then restated to Jacob's descendants. 
This is a, a, a map that, that, that someone has kind of put out of what we believe the area that God gave to the Jewish people. Whether or not it goes that far into Egypt, I'll, I'll leave that up to greater minds than mine. But he said, from the river of Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates. That's modern Israel. That's modern Jordan. That's modern Lebanon. Goes up into Syria and, and, and Iraq. That area of the world, God said, the land I created, and I'm going to give it to you as an everlasting possession forever. And you know what? The God we serve is able to do that because that's what God does. You know, one of the names of God that we're very familiar with is the name Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, God, created the Hashemayim and the Haaretz, the heavens and the earth. The name of God, Elohim, is based on the Hebrew word Allah, but it's plural. And it literally means the strong one. When we talk about God's name here, we're talking about the strong one who has the power to make a promise and the power to back it up. God has the power to make this promise because he created. And he knows what he's doing, and he's able to do everything he said he would do. We continue on. You know what? The Jewish people sinned, and they lost the land. As you have your scriptures, if you would turn with me again to the book of Ezekiel. I could go to Deuteronomy 28, one of the key chapters, the blessings and cursings chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. God says that if you obey me, I'll bless you. And blessed shall be the the, the fruit of your land, and, and blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. But if you forsake me, if you walk away from me, then cursed shall you be when you arise, and cursed shall you be when you go down, and cursed shall be the land. And your life is going to hang in the balance. And we all know what happened. We, we've read the Bible. We know what happened and how the Jewish people kind of uh, forsook God. Not that, um, not that we could ever really point a finger at them and not have some fingers back at us, you know. Israel made some mistakes. I mentioned in uh, the earlier service, back, uh, Noah got off the ark, and uh, I think I, uh, I was part of the high school football team. Today's, uh, today's kind of a, a, a bittersweet day. Today's happy birthday to me. I'm wearing a black shirt because I've left the 50s and moved into the 60s. What can I tell you? Life does not begin at 60. I am telling you that, and you can just bank on it. It's true. It doesn't. But life goes on. Well, when I was in high school all those many years ago, our freshman football team got shirts, and the football the, on the back, it said, Class of 1975, actions speak louder, and that was 1975, not 1875, okay? Actions speak louder than words. Now, our actions as a freshman football team were, we lost every single game. Ultimately, they had no choice but to make this group junior varsity, and we lost every football game. You know what happened? They had to make this crew varsity because they had nobody else to put on the field. We won a whole game. Over four years, we won a game. It was amazing. You might have thought it was the Super Bowl. We celebrated like it was the Super Bowl. You know, for four years, our cheerleaders were saying, we are number one. Everybody knew we weren't. Because the actions on the football field spoke louder than the words that were being said. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever find that as believers that what we do far outweighs what we say? That people can't see Jesus because they can't get past our actions. You know, what we do really defines 
who we serve, not what we say. Israel, they don't even say the name of God. They say Hashem. They, 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 they talk about him in, in, in terms like the name. But what they did spoke so loud that no one could follow and figure out who it was they were worshiping. Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to begin in verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman and her customary impurity. So I I poured, verse 18, out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations. Whenever you see that, nations is the Gentiles. He's scattering them amongst the Gentiles. And that's why there's Jewish people all over the world. They're in every state of the United States, and they're in countries like, like, like Japan and China, and they were in Ethiopia, and they're in Russia and Poland, and, and throughout Europe. There's Jewish people everywhere because God said, I'm dispersing you because you You didn't honor me. You may have done lip service. You may not have said my name, but what you did spoke so loud that people couldn't hear what you weren't even saying. And he says, so I did this in my fury because I scattered you among the nations in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, look at this, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. And look at this, verse 21. I had concern for my holy name. Do you realize that God created Israel for the purpose of bringing God, his truth, his Messiah, and his word to a lost world? It worked on occasion. There was a, there was a woman by the name of Rahab. She understood when the spies came to Jericho. She understood exactly what was happening and she protected them. And, and she married very prominently into the line of Judah. You can see it in the magazine. It's right out there on the back table. There was another woman by the name of Ruth, a Moabitess. She said, your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And where you go, I'll go, and where you lodge, I'll lodge. And, and Ruth, again, she's like the grandmother, great-grandmother of, of King David. But as a general rule, Israel didn't impact their world for God, they were impacted by their world against God. And they forsook him. And they began to do all the terrible things that God said not to do. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever find that as a believer, it's really tough to be not of the world while we're in the world? It's not easy, is it? The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, don't let the world force you into its mold. But you know what? It's really tough, isn't it? We just get hammered with it and hammered with it and hammered with it. It's on television. We hear it every other day. Wherever we go, we hear curse words and people taking the name of Lord in vain. And and pretty soon, it just wears you down. Well, you know what? That's what happened to Israel. They were supposed to be salt and light, and so is the church. We're supposed to be different. We're to represent the Lord in a hostile environment. Let me ask you a question. It's easy to see how Israel did. How are we doing? How do you think we're doing as Christians representing Christ, representing his kingdom in a hostile environment? Let me tell you, make no bones about it. This is a hostile environment. 
Ask the church in Texas. They saw that last week, how hostile it is. They were doing what we're doing. They were just sitting in church worshiping the Lord. And somebody who hates came in and took out half the church. And where there was once a light, it's probably now going to be torn down. I think they'll build something else, but that church is, 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 is going to be gone, and there's going to be a memorial there to the people that lost their lives worshiping the Lord. You know what? If somebody were ever come in here and shoot me, ask for the body's present with the Lord, but the church will go on, the message will go on, and God will be glorified, and the church will not be destroyed because God promised that. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Satan can't stop it. But we need to understand we're in a war. There's no downtime. You know, they tell me that people that were in Vietnam, the only way they could have R&R was when they got to Hawaii. Because the whole time they were even behind their lines in Vietnam, they had to be watchful because they never knew whether somebody was going to try to kill them. Someone was going to try to poison them. Someone was going to try to blow them up. They said they relaxed physically when they landed on the tarmac in Hawaii because they knew they were home and safe. Folks, we're not at home here. We're just passing through. Heaven's our home. While we're here, we're on the clock and we're working to the glory of God, or we should be. Israel blew it and they were, they're dispersed. Look at this. This is a map. The Jewish people were just spread throughout the world. They were just dispersed. It's called the diaspora. And that's why we have Jewish people everywhere. You know what? As they were being dispersed, we saw in Ezekiel 36, God says, I had concern for my name. Why? Because Israel was supposed to represent him. And now he's working with us. But God always says, you know what? I'm going to bring Israel back. One of the things that I struggle with is this concept of replacement theology. Look at this. We're in Ezekiel 36 still. Take a look. Ezekiel 36, we're going to be here in verse 24. Let's take a look. God says, I will take you from the nations. He said, I scattered you among the nations, but I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Look what he says in verse uh, 14, the next chapter. He says, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Poland. I'm going to bring you to the United States of America. Isn't that what the Bible says? I'm going to bring you to Russia, England, Africa. No, he says, I'm going to bring you back to the land of Israel. Folks, the Bible is very clear that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly and he's able to do everything he says he's going to do. Amen? Look, I'm, I'm not here telling you Israel's perfect. I'm not telling you God loves them more than us. I'm not telling you any of that. I'm telling you God chose Abram for a specific purpose and he made him a promise. And the God we serve is able to keep his promise to Abram and to his progeny. Amen? Did God make you a promise? Absolutely. John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. Amen? We heard a, we heard a beautiful duet today. There's coming a day when, when Jesus is going to return. There'll be no sorrow, no sadness, no sickness, no parting. And we believe that. Amen? Well, if God is going to do that for us, how can God not keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah? If Ezekiel is lying, then how do I know John isn't lying? How can I trust the fact that he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, except for those Jewish people, because, well, I didn't really mean them. 
you know, they, they kind of ran afoul of me. So I'm kind of done with them. You're dead to me. I'm now working with you, and I love you forever. Well, <laughs> what about them? Eh. You see, Jesus said, look, you're in my hand. I'm in my Father's hand, and nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ Jesus. That eternal security is the same for them as it is for us. God made a promise, and God keeps his promises. In Ezekiel 37, Israel is pictured as a valley of dry bones. And they say, our hope is lost, and we're, we're without any kind of future. But God says, I am going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you back. And on May 14th, 1947, Israel was partitioned. And on, on May 14th, 1948, Israel came back as a nation. There were people that today, they're, they're, that generation's dying out, but they literally heard that announcement on the radio and they began to weep because they were telling their children Bible prophecy is being fulfilled as you listen to this, as you hear this, because they understood that Israel was coming back. They hadn't been a nation since 586 B.C., and in 1948, so you take 586 B.C. and you add that to 1948, so you're talking almost 2,000 years, there had been no homeland for the Jewish people. And in 1948, on May 14th, Israel rose again because God promised they would. Because God promised they would. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is really what I'm going to be talking a little bit about tonight. But you see, there is fruit for eternity. The land of Israel will be the head of all the nations of the earth. Jesus will sit on the throne of David and rule for 1,000 literal non-negotiable years. That's really important because it's not a spiritual thousand years. This is a literal thousand years. Do you realize if the millennium were to begin today, okay, we're talking about, what, 2017? We're talking about it ending a thousand years from today. That's like, what, 3017? If the millennium ended today, it began, what, a thousand years ago. Think about where the world was a thousand years ago. There was no America. There was no Internet. There was no Tylenol. There were no glasses. We were in a feudal system. No constitution, no declaration, no nothing. But look where we've come in a thousand years. This is a literal thousand-year reign that Jesus is going to offer. There'll be peace. And I love the fact that there's going to be worship in the kingdom. That last verse under worship, Zechariah 8.23. Ten men of the nations of the Gentiles will grab a hold of the sleeve of a Jewish man and say, we're going to go up to Jerusalem to worship with you because we have heard and we know the Lord is with you. You see, there's going to be worship in the kingdom as, as those that survive the tribulation will come and they're going to gather together to worship Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know about you. I'm excited about that day. I look forward to it. You see, Israel is part of God's economy and God keeps his promises. And God wants us to remember we can't boast against the roots. God loves us, no doubt about it. But the same God that promised us in my father's house are many mansions promised Israel that he would never leave them, forsake them, and that he could bring them back to the land of Israel. And if there's one thing we know about our God, he's able to keep his promises. Amen? 
Father, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is true. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. And Father, even as we gather here today, we want to be reminded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, knowing that there'll be no peace in that land until the Shar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Messiah, is ensconced as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and reigning over this world. And that's why we see all the mess that we do. But Father, we know that there's going to come a day when Jesus will return and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and he will go and fight for his people. And then there will be peace. And then there will be integrity and morality in the world. And we look forward to that day. But until then, may we be salt. May we be light. May we be representatives of the Most High God in an evil world. Because we love you and we want to bring glory to you as we pray in Jesus' name for his sake only. Amen.